Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing well at home. I uh, wanted to give you guys a couple of quick updates before we dive into our sermon time this morning. I know there are a lot of questions about just exactly what everybody in our county is going to be doing in the next couple of weeks as various uh, talks about restrictions are being heard about, I know. Um, well, I just want to let you know that as it comes to the Mission Church, we just really want to be as clear as we can, uh, give you the best, most up-to-date information that we can. This week, the elders are going to be meeting together, trying to make some decisions based upon the new information we expect to be coming out this next week, and uh, we will update you as soon as we possibly can. The most timely updates will be able to be found at the Mission Church website. If you go there and click on the coronavirus update that's at the top of our uh, at the website homepage, you will get the most up-to-date information there anytime something changes. There and then Facebook and also our bulletin app. Now that one might not be as updated as the others. We'll make sure that is updated by every Sunday at the very least. Uh, but our goal is to try to make sure that in those several avenues that we've reached out to you uh, in the past, that we'll be able to give you the information you need to know. For now, we are suspending group gatherings that are more than 10 people, uh, trying to honor uh, the request that's been given to us by government officials. And uh, as we move forward, we're going to have to make more decisions. So you can check those things out at those areas and hopefully find out information. Um, if there's anyone that you know of at our church or a regular attender or someone who might have just been thinking about coming who may not know to check those channels or maybe don't have access to them, can you please just help everyone out by shooting them a text or a phone call or an email or whatever way would work best? We just want to make sure that as many people as possible, 100%, hopefully, uh, who are trying to figure out what's happening at the Mission Church uh, will be able to know what's going on. This last week, I began uh, publishing some videos from my home, uh, just normal home life, but trying to give some encouragement, especially in light of some of this COVID scare uh, kind of stuff that's going on right now. I hope that those have been encouraging to you. I I'd recommend share those with people, uh, like the page, uh, comment on them. Let me know if you have any other questions or issues you'd like for us to deal with, because uh, that may be able to be something that could be a, a big help for people in this time as we're, uh, we're all stuck at home and not able to go about normal life uh, as is typical. Well, today I'm going to go ahead and just pray real quick as we, we get ready to dive into our text. Um, and hopefully this can be a good service for you as well. And it can continue, help aid you in your worship uh, this, uh, this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We trust you, Lord. We know that you are in control of all things. Father, if you wanted to, with the, with the breath of your mouth, you could utterly stop this coronavirus from spreading around the world. It could, it could disappear in an instant if you wanted for it to. But Lord, for purposes that we admit we don't understand, we can't yet see, uh, Lord, that has not been what you have willed to do. And so, Lord, here we are. Uh, we're separated again this week. Uh, we are in homes. Uh, we are not gathered together as a local church today. Uh, but Lord, we are grateful that Jesus is with us where two or three are gathered. Lord, I believe that that is true for us today, and I'm grateful uh, that you have made it to be that way. Father, please bless us this day uh, with good worship. Uh, help us to give you the praise that you are due. Lord, as we read through the next section of Hebrews, and as I, I seek to preach faithfully through this text, I uh, pray that you would help me do that in a way that would be honoring to you and to your word, and that it would be uh, applicable right now, this very day, to those who will hear this. We love you, Lord. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you do have your Bibles with you at home, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter six. I'm going to read verses nine through 20. That's kind of the section we're in right now, even though we're just really gonna cover verses 11 through 12. Grab your Bibles. It'd be great for you to do that at home, even wherever you are, or open up another tab on your browser, perhaps. Uh, We will throw those slides up there so we're all looking at the same thing at the same time as as I preach through this. Uh, But let me begin. Hebrews chapter six, reading verses nine through 20. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of of Melchizedek. Let's pray again. Father, again, as we open this word, we ask that Hebrews chapter 6 would be a service to us to help us to love you more, to help us glorify you, to help us to be strengthened as believers, and Lord, in some way to be utilized in our own lives to help us reach the lost. We love you, Lord, and ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, I just want to real quickly jump back for a moment and make sure that you understand the setup of this text, where we've been in the past handful of weeks, so that you'll understand where we're going right now. Last week, we covered verses 7 through 10. And then I argued that the author has both offered a genuine warning to Christians to not fall away. And at the same time, he has comforted those very same Christians with assurance of salvation. We can summarize this apparent paradox by saying genuine receptiveness is lasting and fruitful. I believe that this affirmation alone respects both the legitimacy of the warnings and the legitimacy of the assurance that the text demands. Now, because the author has observed this kind of fruitfulness in the lives of these people that he's talking to, that he's writing to right now, he can say that he is confident of their assurance. And this brings us up to our text today as we get to verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Full 
assurance. As we saw last week, this passage affirms the believer's full assurance of salvation. Remember, he's sure of these things, the things that belong to salvation for his audience. But here, he wants to extend that beyond just him feeling assured for them. He wants for them to have assurance, full assurance. Now look at this word earnestness for a moment. He says, we desire each one of you, all of you, all of you individuals, each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. To have the same earnestness. This word for earnestness in the Greek can be rendered in English a handful of different words and different versions will use this different ways, different translations of the Bible. Uh, You might see diligence, diligence instead of earnestness. Zeal is another word that could be utilized. In fact, the word make every effort, that phrase, make every effort, is utilized by Peter when he says in 2 Peter 1.5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and so on. So he encourages them to be earnest, diligent, zealous, so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Now, now just real quick so you understand something. I just said here, so as to realize. That's actually the way that the NASB will, will utilize the language here. And that's, that's kind of important because he's not saying that he wants you to have the earnestness, be earnest to have full assurance. He's saying be earnest so that you can have the assurance. And that's actually pretty important. Simply put, diligence leads to assurance. Earnestness Zeal, making an effort, leads to assurance. In the previous verse, he just commended them for putting their faith into practice by showing their love for the name of God and serving the saints. In fact, it was this observation, seeing their good works, that gave the author assurance of their salvation. Now he wants them to have this assurance for themselves by continuing in doing good they can have that assurance by their diligence. There's a principle here, and it's one that's not really that hard to see. In fact, it plays out in many spheres of our life. When people are productive, they feel secure. When people are not productive, they become increasingly insecure. Now, I want you to think for a moment, especially moms, mothers out there. Have you ever had a time in your life where you're trying to mother a child and it just doesn't seem like it's working well. You're trying to train your kid to be potty trained or how to read or maybe you're dealing with a little bit older kid, dealing with a, a, a relational issue and then a teenager, all kinds of different things and you don't feel like your teaching is getting through. It's so common for moms to feel insecure about how good of a mother they are when they don't feel like they're producing the right effect in their children. You know, this last week, uh, I was listening to a talk show host who was talking about COVID restrictions and uh, the economic impact uh, that many are perceiving might be, uh, become an issue for us in our country because of the restrictions. This particular talk show host pointed out that uh, there have been many studies that show that when large groups of people uh, are out of work for a period of time, it affects them pretty dramatically. In fact, uh, when men specifically are out of work in large groups, the the suicide rates for those groups of men go way up, way higher than is typical. 
And the reason is probably not that hard for us to intuit. The fact is that when we, we're not doing what we feel like we're supposed to be doing and producing like we're supposed to be producing, it becomes really difficult for us. In fact, oftentimes leads to even depression and even terrible things like thoughts of suicide. That's just in, in this normal life. But for the believer, we feel the shakiest in our faith we, we feel the most troubled by doubt when we are not putting our faith into practice, when we are not doing what Christians are designed to do. This is why it's so often if a person ever comes to you for counsel, a Christian who's just saying, I just, I just am lacking assurance. I just don't really know if God loves me. I just don't, I'm, I'm struggling with really believing fully the gospel. I know that it's real. I know that it is, but it just doesn't feel real to me every day. And oftentimes, it only takes a few questions to probe you find out, are you doing what Christians do? Are, are, are you in the word regularly? Are you, are you praying without ceasing, as Paul will say? Are, are, are you serving your other Christians? Are, are you diligently working out your salvation with fear and trembling? And oftentimes, I think most often, almost always, a person in that situation says, no, I, no. Never known a person to say, my prayer life, my Bible life, my serving of the saints life is the best it could be, and I'm feeling spiritually the most worst off. The worst off. Continues on. Look, 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 at, look at verse 12 here. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises, so that you may not be sluggish. This is the same word, sluggish, that is used at the beginning of this warning section that starts back in chapter 5, verse 11. There it says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull or sluggish of hearing. You might need to remember this is the whole point of this section. The author was teaching about priesthood. He actually introduced the character of Melchizedek, who was a, who was a priest back in the days of Abraham, long before Moses. And he, he's telling his audience uh, about Jesus, and he's going to connect Jesus to Melchizedek, but he knows that in doing so, it's going to be a bit complicated, and he needs them to focus. He needs them to be, be honed for that task. And he's frustrated because they are not. They have become dull of hearing. They are not sharpened for these kind of things. And so out of his frustration and out of his concern for his audience, he gives them this big warning. And that's what this whole section has been about so far. We're getting to the end of this big warning section. That is the problem he's been dealing with. And here he finally now gives a solution. And the solution is diligence, earnestness. Diligence leads to full assurance, which is the antidote to sluggishness. I'm going to say that again. Diligence leads to full assurance, which is the antidote to sluggishness. This reminds me a little bit about what James said in James 2.18. He says, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. It's a famous passage. It's where he compares two kinds of faith. False faith that produces no works and true faith that certainly will. He knows that his faith is genuine. James does. Because he has relied on God and he has assurance 
because of what he's been able to produce, his good works. And he also knows that for the other guy, the one who says, I don't need to work, for that guy, he has no assurance of that guy's salvation because he doesn't observe earnest service for the praise of God's name. So let me, let me say this one more time. Diligence leads to full assurance, which is the antidote to sluggishness. Now for clarity, I want to say that in reverse. So hopefully this will make it even easier to understand. If you are not zealous, showing no effort to honor God, you cannot have genuine assurance. And that leads to sluggishness. That makes one dull of hearing. If you're reading through the Bible and you have a super hard time understanding big parts of Scripture, especially the kinds of things that the other Christians around you seem fully confident about, you need to sharpen your hearing. And oftentimes that can't be accomplished by you merely trying harder to muster up the understanding. In other words, you need to live like a Christian. Go be a Christian. Go do what God has designed you to go do. You're having a trouble with that? That's not seeming like it's making lots of sense? Come back to this. This is, this is important. It's God's word. But maybe you need to go be sharpened, become honed for that task. Perhaps that's what some of your energy should be put towards right now. Let God, sh- let God sharpen your spiritual focus so that you may be able to understand those things that are right now difficult for you. Diligence leads to full assurance, and full assurance sharpens Christians like a sword being readied for battle. This is, for the record, the exact opposite of what our opponents say. This is the exact opposite of what so many people say about Christians. They argue that if you have full assurance... That's just going to result in Christians living like hellions because salvation is secure. And what they're imagining is the, the free gracer. The, the, what they have in mind is the person who says, well, I'm saved by faith. I don't need to do anything. I can go murder whomever I want. I can go steal from whomever I want. I can hurt whomever I want because salvation is secure. I can live however I want. You see, that's what's in the mind of the non-believer as they think about assurance. This is why virtually every possible false faith that that claims to have any roots in Christianity does not have full assurance. In part because they believe that full assurance would produce the wrong attitude and produce the wrong works. But this author is saying that full assurance prevents complacency. In other words, full assurance does the exact opposite of what people would assume that it might do. We can observe this to be true in other categories of life. Imagine you were going to the wedding of a very close friend. And just as you're walking out the door, you get a text on your phone. And it's from your friend who's already at the church getting ready to be married. And it says, don't worry, we will wait for you. (coughs) Now that's assurance. That's assurance. The wedding will not start without you. You have have confirmation from your friend that they will not start without you. What does this produce? Does this make you go, oh, well, in that case, I can stop for a burger. I can go get in line at the Costco for an hour and get some toilet paper. I can go take a walk in the park and a nap, and a few hours from now, who cares? They're going to wait. 
course not. In fact, the assurance is what produces in us the urgency. They're going to wait for me? They're not going to start until I get there? I got to get there now. That's the way that assurance oftentimes works for us. For a believer, speaking of our spiritual lives, assurance does not produce apathy. It spurs us on to greater things. Every false faith, every false faith believes that you can lose salvation in some way or another. And there are even some Christians who think that, that are possible, brothers and sisters whom we love. And oftentimes the concern is that it will produce dullness when in fact this author says it will produce the opposite. Reading this again. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. First, let's look at this inherit the promises. Since the previous verse just encouraged us to have the full assurance of hope until the end, you might have seen that phrase there. This inheritance is the promise of our salvation that we receive after we die. Salvation all the promises of God that we will receive in eternity with him. That's the promises that we inherit. That inheritance is secured by the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1. And someday we will receive that full inheritance. And what does it take to inherit the promise? How can we be confident that we will gain that promise? Through faith and patience. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitators. Faith is what the, begins the life of a believer. It's what makes a person go from not a believer to a believer. It's actually why we, it's why we call each other believers. It's faith, what we believe in. We believe in Jesus. But as we have said many times before, faith is not a one-time event for the believer. That starts at the beginning, like the inauguration of becoming a Christian. Oh, I remember that one time that I had faith. No, faith is enduring. Faith is persistent. Faith patiently endures to the end. And faith that doesn't patiently endure to the end is not genuine saving faith. It must continue. Notice that he tells us to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We should, we should imitate those. Think about this for a moment. It is wise and commendable for us to find role models of faithfulness. I know that right now we're being asked to, to stay home. Uh, we, we need as much social distancing as we can, we can have. People are, are concerned to not spread disease. And so, and so Christians are trying to do that. And in large measure, we want to be honoring to our government and helpful to our neighbor. If there's a way we can help, we are eager to sacrifice for the good of our neighbor. Christians are at the front of the line on that kind of thing. And, and yet we're, we're away from each other. We're separated. And that's odd for us. That's unique for us. It's not the way that Christians operate. Because Christians gather together and Christians get to know one another and they relate together. And Christians identify in one another traits that are admirable 
as they align to the scriptures, as they align to Jesus as the perfect example, we make those people our role models. It's odd to be in a position where we don't get to observe and be with and around our role models. We are not to be sluggish, but to be imitators of other faithful believers. Christianity is not for the isolationist. No one person can say, I'll be a Christian, I'll separate it off by myself. And I'll just focus on Jesus. Yes, amen, focus on Jesus. Love him greatest more than anything. Absolutely, worship him, no one else. And at the same time, his word tells us to imitate people who have good things in them. Faith, namely, as we'll see in a moment, role models don't have to be perfect. In fact, later in the book of Hebrews, back in chapter 11, this author gives his audience a list of more than a dozen Old Testament people by name who are commended for their faith. And this list is by no means a list of perfect people. Look at what he, look at what he lists here in this list. Abraham, we know lots of faults of Abraham. He, he refused to trust that God was going to take care of his wife and himself when he was down in Egypt. And so he told his wife to call him his, his sister and her, him brother and her sister to try to protect them. He, was, he believed his wife's concerns that they were not going to be able to have a baby even though God promised it. And so he went in with another woman which was dishonoring to God. Sarah, she laughed when she heard the angels say that she was going to have a baby. Sarah is listed in this roll call of faith. Moses, who wasn't even allowed into the promised land because of his momentous lack of faith that God would do what he said he was going to do when he struck the rock at Horeb. Rahab makes the list. The prostitute from Jericho makes the list of commendable people. Samson, Samson. There's very little about Samson in the Old Testament that you can find that is commendable, and yet they make this list. Role models don't have to be perfect. I've known so many Christians in my life who who felt the urge, the the true Christian Bible-centered urge to disciple someone younger in the faith, and yet they just felt too unworthy to do that. And that that feeling of unworthiness made it so that they weren't able to finally say, I'm just going to engage in this kind of relationship. I'm going to try to be a good discipler, disciple maker for other people. You know, I remember when when Bradley was first on his way out to Utah, uh, my wife and I had talked about uh, having him come on out. This is before he was married to Marissa, before they were even engaged for that matter. And and we we knew that we were going to be inviting him into our home to live with us in the season when he first arrived. And... uh, you're kind of nervous about that because up until that point he had looked up to me as a, as a youth pastor and as a campus pastor at the church I'd been part of uh, back in Illinois where he, where he was as well and, um, and so I, I wanted to remain a role model to him and I was afraid if, if he came into our home he would see just how not perfect we are. He would get an up-close view of that and uh, Laura and, and I we both were talking about this and, and realized that that's probably the very best thing that we could do for Bradley is let him see all the goods and all the bads. That we might be the best possible role models of imperfect people who have to rely on God. And that maybe he may even observe things in us that are not good. That he might watch things in me that are not good and learn from them and be warned to not do them too. You can be a role model. And the role models in your life don't have to be perfect. But something about them needs to be faithful. 
that their faith could be commended. Do you notice something else about this list? That list that I escaped from Hebrews 11? They're all dead. And they've all been long dead by the time that the author is writing the book of Hebrews. And even the instruction that was given, if you notice that back in verse 12, that certainly could include a person who's already inherited the promises because they've finished their life. They're dead. Here's what I want to let you know. Read dead authors. Yeah, I know. The, the language might be harder to read a book uh, by Charles Spurgeon or by Jonathan Edwards or, or, or go, going back as far as the earliest days of Christianity all the way up until recent history. R.C. Sproul, who recently passed away, men and women of faith, thinking of people like Elizabeth Elliot or Corey Tenboom, uh, John Bunyan, John Owen, these beloved Christian brothers and sisters throughout history who have had faith in God and they patiently endured in their faith until the day in which they inherited the promises. Read dead authors. If you're a Christian, you are a part of a long line of faithful men and women of God. And you're gonna go see them in heaven someday and you're gonna be praising and worshiping God for forever. And you might meet John Bunyan in heaven someday and you wanna be able to say, praise God for what you wrote that helped me love and honor him more. What an awesome way to meet a person in heaven. Look, you're, I know you're going to be stuck at home anyway, right? So get some biographies. Uh, find some online specials about people of the faith in days past. Learn about their lives. This could be a great time to order books, uh, download things online to learn about these people. Learn from their mistakes. Listen to their counsel. There's something else implied here too, though. Something that's not... It's not stated, but it's, it's, it is still quite obvious, and it's worth mentioning. We ought not imitate faithlessness. We ought not imitate unfaithfulness. Now, you and I may learn many really good things from unbelievers, but our greatest heroes should be men and women of faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God, and you want to please God. That's the instruction, discipleship, and encouragement that you need most. In other words, none of us can say, I've got this whole Christian thing down, but I'd really love to know more about business, right? The place that you and I need the most help is living like a Christian and honoring our God in all the days of our lives. That list from Hebrews 11 is of people who lived long before the time of Jesus. And yet they believed God and they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. If you want to determine whether or not a person is worth making a role model, just observe. Do they have their eyes fixed on Jesus? Do they set their life and their heart and their mind to honor God? Do they live out the gospel? Jesus alone is our perfect example. We don't need to find somebody who is himself perfect other than Jesus because we won't find anyone else other than Jesus who is perfect. He alone lived a perfect life. If you want the best possible example of everything, look to Jesus. And if there's any person worth imitating, it is the person who has set his heart, his mind, her heart, her mind, on honoring, loving, and following Jesus. If you struggle with assurance 
or even with diligence that leads to assurance, find another brother or sister in Christ and do what they do. Pray like they do. Study the Bible like they do. Spend time with people like they do. Work like they do. Make decisions like they do. I know things are different right now. And I know that that might not very often be able to happen in close proximity with another person as it certainly can happen in other times. But you can be in connection with other brothers and sisters in faith. And, and you can get to know them well. And you can get to know their stories. And you can, when you're struggling through, how should I think about this? I'm feeling very angry about something in the world right now. I don't know how to deal with this. Maybe reach out to that beloved brother or sister. Find out how they are thinking through this as well. Could be a great service for you. The author's about to go on now and give us an example of one who was commended for his faith and for his patience, and that's Abraham. And we're gonna get there the next time that we come back. I hope that you guys have a great week. I hope that you're able to internalize some of these things uh, that no matter what craziness is going on around you, you can find a way to glorify God, strengthen believers, and reach the lost. Let me pray as we close. Lord, we thank you so much for Sunday. We thank you that you have blessed us so many weeks that we've not even remembered, Lord, that you have just blessed for us to come together and gather, sing and worship you. Lord, we can't do that right now. But we're so grateful for those days. We don't want to forget to give you glory for them. Father, help us to come back, unite again soon. Lord, before we even get to do that, we pray that coronavirus would not spread anymore, that people would be healed. And Lord, more than anything, we pray that our hearts, our minds would be fixed on you. We would honor you all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.